0: Thank you for that. Somebody received it this morning. Uh, I hope you all had a great Christmas and a happy new year. Did you all have a good Christmas and a happy new year? Yeah, okay. About a three out of five. That's okay. Sometimes that's just the way that it goes. I um I do love this time of year. I love the new year, the change from one calendar to the next. I get real excited about like dreaming about all the things that I'm gonna accomplish. In the next year, how many of you like the new year? You like get into that, like, what are we going to do this year? And all of that, you know, I'll journal out all my goals and stuff. And lots of people do that. And we love doing that. You know, like that maybe your goal this year is like, I'm going to start that graduate program that I've always been intending to start. And so that's like a thing that you're going to do. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to start really saving some money this year. You know, I've got some cash I want to put away. Or maybe this is the year when you lose that final 10 pounds, you know. I saw somebody on social media last week. They said, last year my resolution was to lose 10 pounds. I only have 15 to go. (laughs) And Sometimes it just goes that way. But I love that. It's good to make New Year's resolutions. It's good to make some commitments to improve our lives and all that stuff. But uh, the church... It's not really a place where we're like into like resolutions. You know, what the church gives us instead of resolutions, the church gives us discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. Discipleship is this process whereby under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we become like Jesus. And so losing the weight and saving money and starting the grad program, all that stuff is great. But you know what God's real goal in your life and in my life actually is? It is to become like Jesus. And so us setting our minds and our hearts, our affections on those things, that's actually the best thing that can happen for us. Now, there are lots of places in the scriptures. Actually, the whole scripture, I think, is one long discipleship. But there are places in the scriptures where our understanding of discipleship becomes condensed in a way that we can really see what's at stake. And one of those places is in the classic teaching of Jesus, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody say the Sermon on the Mount. So these are three chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus gets up and he begins to give us this like picture of what the reign of God in Christ looks like, what the kingdom of God looks like, and how we participate in it. And so over the next several months across all of our New Life congregations, campuses, uh, we're going to be focusing on these words of Jesus. Because the most important thing that can happen to us is that we become like Jesus, that's what discipleship is. Now, I'll say one thing before we jump in this morning. There are some people who would say about the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, Jesus never really intended that we would actually do the Sermon on the Mount or practice the Sermon on the Mount. That what it is is like this impossible ideal that Jesus is setting up for us. That when we see it, we're instantly going to realize that we can't do it and we're crushed by it and we fall back upon the grace of God. And I think that that is wildly inaccurate. You know what Jesus says about these words of his in these chapters is at the end of Matthew chapter seven, he says that I'll tell you what the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like, this person is like a wise man who dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. And when the storm came and the rains came and the winds blew, it couldn't shake that house because it was well built. It's Jesus' way of saying I actually want you to do these things, like live this way. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to learn how to live this way with Jesus. So I'm going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 5. If you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. And we're going to get to the scripture. I'm just going to cover the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Before we open the scriptures together, can we pause for a word of prayer? Jesus, we love you. You are our rock and our salvation. You are the source. You are the strength of our lives. Micah said it when we were worshiping just a bit ago. You are the one from whom all things came. You're the one who sustains us. And the scripture actually says that everything is careening towards a meeting with Jesus. Everything is summed up in you. There's nowhere that we can go to escape from your presence. You are our past. You are our future. You're everything in between. The Alpha and the Omega. The Scripture says the beginning and the end. And so we pray that this morning we would learn to rest in who you are and how you see the world and in how you're calling us to live. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. And by your own word, you said that wherever two or three people are gathered together in your name, that you would be right there in the midst of them. And so you're here, resurrected one. You're here. You're in our midst. You're opening our hearts and opening our minds so that we can understand the scriptures. You're teaching us. You're helping us live in the kingdom. So we pray, grant, that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. And now when Jesus saw the crowds, his ministry is off to this fast start, and there's all these mobs of people around him. He went up on a mountainside, the scripture says, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. So Jesus here at the beginning of his ministry, he's been healing and casting out demons and all this stuff. And there are these mobs of people that are following him. And the scripture says that when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. That notion of Jesus being on a mountain and sitting down, hearing the word of the Lord and giving the word of the Lord, should call up for us another great figure in the history of the scriptures, the figure of Moses. You'll remember that after Moses delivers his people, delivers the people up out of Egypt, what does he do? He goes to Mount Sinai. He hears the word of the Lord and he brings the word of the Lord to the people of God. But there's something really interesting. There are all of these comparisons that Matthew will make throughout his text. To, uh, uh, to Moses, putting Moses and Jesus together. But the fascinating thing about this is that there's a big difference between Moses and Jesus, okay? So Moses goes up on the mountain, and when he comes down, you know what he gives the people? Instructions. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Jesus goes up on the mountainside, though, and instead of coming down with instructions, he comes down with something else, doesn't he? He comes down with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. It's like what Jesus is doing is he's redefining reality for us. So before Jesus gives us instructions about how to live, he actually has to open our eyes. He has to baptize our eyes so that we can see the world in a fresh way. Because the truth is that we can only really act in a world that we see. And so he has to help us see the world as it really is. And the way that he does that is by using this word blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the Greek word makarios and it has a couple different definitions and both of them are incredibly important for understanding what Jesus is doing here. Number one, makarios means uh, pertaining to being fortunate or happy because of circumstances, right? So you're looking at what's going on in a person's life and you're going, oh, okay, you're, you're blessed. You're a makarios person, number one. And number two, it means this, pertaining to being especially favored or a recipient of divine favor, So your circumstances make you a blessed person. And also you're a person that God is especially infatuated with. Okay. Holding that in your mind. I want you to think about the verses that we just read here out of Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. These things, especially poor in spirit and mourning, they don't actually sound like blessed things, do we? Do they? They actually sound like, man, your life is like kind of not working the way that it ought to be working, is it? But that's precisely what Jesus is doing. He's helping us see that the world is not as it appears. So Jesus is redefining for us who is in a favored position with God. And I want to just unpack these four little beatitudes I show you this this morning. Here's Matthew 5, 3. Let's read it again. Jesus says, "Blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is that? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I'd say this to you. Here's a definition. That the poor in spirit are those whose circumstances have thrown them into complete dependence upon God. That's who the poor in spirit are. The poor in spirit are those who have walked through a thing where all of a sudden they started crying out to the Lord in a fresh way. Think about how often the psalmist will describe himself as poor. This is the, uh, Psalm 34 and verse 6. The psalmist said, This poor man called out. And what happened? The Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. Have you ever just been kind of going along in your life, happy and content and self-satisfied, And then all of a sudden, something happens that puts you in a space of complete desperation on God. Everything was going okay. Your life was organized beautifully, and it was set up perfectly. And all of a sudden, you're reduced to your knees again. And you begin to cry out to the Lord, God, I need you. God, please help me. God, save me. Can you think of what happens in you in those seasons? All of a sudden, there is like this awakening of faith in your spirit. And you start sensing that whereas you were perfectly content and self-satisfied and maybe your relationship with God had grown a little bit cold, all of a sudden now things have warmed back up again. And there's traffic between you and the Lord. I've got news for you. There is something that we do in the church that I think is really bizarre. One of the things that I think that we do is that we live our lives in such a way that we go, man, at some point when I finally have my faith fully together, I won't have to rely on God so much anymore. Like we hope to graduate from faith at some point. And do you know that God is not interested in you graduating from faith? (laughs) Faith is the whole nature of our relationship with God. And faith is not just cognitive ascent to the idea of God. Faith is like, Lord, I need you. This poor man called, right? And so every once in a while, we'll walk through circumstances that do that to us again. That open us up to faith again. And when that happens, our relationship with God is renewed and God starts creating beautiful things in us. I remember talking to a pastor many years ago, just getting to know this guy. And we're sharing stories about our lives and all of that. And he started telling me his story in ministry. He said, you know, many years ago, my wife and I planted a church together. I think they were in Indiana. He said, we planted a church together and the church did really well. It's a beautiful experience and it started growing pretty quickly. We grew from 300 to 400, 500, 600, and all of these amazing things were happening. He said, and then one day I found out that my wife was having an affair with a significant leader in our church. He said, and the way that the news came out, it sent our church into a complete tailspin. Then this church was everything that I'd ever hoped for, everything I'd ever dreamed of. Then within six months, we went from 700 people to closing the doors of the church And I'm listening to him tell this story, and I'm just getting so sorrowful in my heart for him. And I said, my friend, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that you lost your dream. And he said, you know, Andrew, I will never forget these words. He said, you know, Andrew, that thing that we went through, that I went through, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. It's the worst thing that I've ever been through in my life. I cannot imagine wishing that upon somebody else. I don't even really know exactly how I'm still standing. He said, but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. And I said, why is that? And he said, because who God made me through that is the greatest treasure that God could ever give me. It's something like that. It's something like that. What did this man experience? He experienced the kingdom of God. God gave him a thing through that experience that could never be taken away. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because the kingdom belongs to them. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're in exactly that place where your circumstances have thrown you into a place of total dependence on God and everything's kind of spinning around you. And I'm here to say to you with Jesus this morning, you are blessed because the kingdom of God belongs to you. Keep your faith in God high, and watch what God will do. Can you receive that this morning? Jesus goes on to say this, Matthew chapter five and verse four. He says, "Blessed are those who mourn for they will be Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted." What is it about tears? What is it about tears? Have you ever just kind of had one of those seasons in your life where some painful stuff happened to you. Difficult things happened to you. And you just really couldn't like grieve it the way that you wanted to grieve it. And all of a sudden your heart kind of starts to close down and you start to get numb inside. You ever been numb inside? You ever had the traffic of your heart close down? and all of a sudden you can't really feel things anymore, and then all of a sudden the Spirit falls upon you in a powerful way, and all of that pain that was inside begins to come out and you begin to mourn. Jesus says that if you're in that place where you have deep sadness in your heart and all of a sudden it starts to come out, He says that you're blessed. Why is that? Because you're going to experience the comfort of the Lord. How many of you in this room have ever experienced the comfort of the Lord before? Those moments when God's comfort falls upon you and you sense the presence of God, those are the most beautiful moments in your entire life, aren't they? I can remember years ago going through a really difficult season that had me grieving inside in a way that I couldn't quite release. We're battered and bruised by all this stuff that went happened. It was a really dark year and... I remember going off, I had a ministry trip over in the UK, and I was over at a church in London, and there was a guy who was ministering to this small group of pastors, about 40 or 50 or so pastors, and he was talking about prayer, and he was talking about worship, and he was talking about the ministry of the Spirit, and I'm holding all of this grief, all of this pain inside. As he's talking, I, I began to feel the Spirit begin to stir in me. I just knew that like this stuff that was here, like this is about to like come up, and it's about to come out and I'll never forget this. He said, I want everybody now just to stand and we're gonna begin to offer our hearts up to the Lord. And he said, I want you just now to begin to sing in the spirit. And if you've never been in a room where people just sang in the spirit, there was no musical accompaniment. There was no worship leader here. It was just the voices coming together. Some people sang in other languages. They sang in tongues. Some people sang in their native language. All of these voices like came together And I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful singing I'd ever heard in my entire life. 40 or 50 pastors lifting up worship to God. And the scripture says that God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. But there's something that happens when we worship like that, that the presence of God descends. And as that group began to lift its worship up to the Lord, I sensed the spirit fall upon me and I hit the deck. And it was like I felt the Lord reaching inside All of that ache and all of that hurt and all of that disappointment and all of that pain, he began to pull it up out of me. And I'm laying on the floor for the better part of an hour, bawling my eyes out. And in those tears, like at the same time that the tears were flowing, the comfort of the spirit was upon me. And I don't understand how that works, but we've all experienced it that you have a good cry, and you don't really want to be crying, but you're going, it hurts so good. (laughs) I needed that. I needed that release, and I needed to know the comfort of the Spirit, the closeness of the Lord. Paul says that our God is the God of compassion, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. The Spirit is called the paraclete, the one called alongside us to help us. And to comfort us. And when we're in that place of mourning, we're in that perfect place where the Spirit can fall upon us and we know the proximity of the Lord to us in a fresh way. And by the way, that is the greatest gift that God can give us, isn't it? The gift of his presence. The gift of knowing him. And we do such, like, we spend so much energy trying to keep our pain at a distance. And the Lord's like, how about you just welcome your pain because I'm with you in the pain. And I'll comfort you and you'll know me. I think about the three years that we've had together as a congregation, New Life East. And two years ago, I remember getting up in a service, in the middle of the service, and I just felt the Lord stirring me. I had a word for the congregation. And I remember getting up and I said, you know, there are some of you here that you have been through incredible pain in the last year or so of your life, and you haven't yet grieved it. It's just all kind of bottled up on the inside of you. And I think this morning that the Lord wants you to let it out. And this is what I said. I said, I think this morning that the Lord is giving some of you the gift of tears. The gift of tears. And if that's you this morning, and if you just need to let it out, this is the space to let it out. And I remember as I was saying it, I'm watching tears falling, streaming down people's faces. And in the three years that we've had together as a congregation, there is no single moment that I've heard more about than that moment. The way that that worked on people's hearts and people's lives. I'm looking at you this morning, and I'm thinking, Pastor Brady said it a little bit ago, that some of you, you might be coming off the hardest year of your life. And you're carrying around ache and you're carrying around pain and you're carrying around grief. So I say to you this morning with the living Lord Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God belongs to you. Just receive him in that place. Can you receive that this morning? And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then he says this, Matthew 5 and verse 5. Jesus says, blessed are the blessed are the meek, for they will what? Now this is one of those ones, again, that ought to make us go, that doesn't make any sense. Who are the meek? Let's give a definition of the meek here this morning. I define them this way. You can put the next slide up on the screen. The meek. Are those who refuse to bully or to force their own agenda? The meek are those who refuse to bully or force their own agenda? Well, we look at that definition and we go, "How are those people going to get anywhere in life?" Right? But the world that we live in is a world that is a doggy-dog kind of world. It's a world where the only way that you can get ahead, the only way that you can save yourself, is precisely by bullying or forcing your agenda. The world that we live in is anti-meek, isn't it? It's what we say. You got to look out for number one. It's a dog, a doggy, dog world out there, baby. You know, nobody else is going to have your back. You better have your own back. And so you got to fight and bite and claw and scrape to try to get ahead. Why is it that the Bible can invite the people of God to being a meek people? It can do that precisely because we believe that we don't have to take care of ourselves. Can I get an amen from somebody? (laughs) The God who made the heavens and the earth is the one who says to us, never will I leave you, never will I, like I'm on your side. Paul writes in Romans 8, if God is, then what? Come on, guys. If God is for us, say it with faith, church, who can be against us? The God of the angel armies is with us. He's looking out for us. He's fighting for our cause. He's providing for us. He's putting the world back together again, which means that we don't, we don't have to. We can rest in who he is and in what he's doing. And Jesus, in this beatitude, he's almost certainly, I think, drawing from one of the great psalms of all the book of the Psalms, the Psalm 37. If there was a psalm for you to commit to memory this year, I think it would be this one. Listen to what the psalmist says. The psalmist says be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret. The psalmist says it only leads to evil. But verse 9, for those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. And here it is. uh, The psalmist says, but the meek will what? They'll inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Friends, I'm saying to you this morning that you do not have to bully or force your own agenda because God is looking out for you. The meek will inherit what? The earth. That's what Jesus says because God is on their side. I heard an extraordinary story recently. A woman that attends New Life East grew up in an abusive home. Her dad was physically, emotionally, sexually abusive to her. Now, all of the pain and all of the awfulness, the hell of that situation. At 15 years old, she left the house and got married. And wouldn't you know it, she left one abusive man and ran into the arms of another abusive man. Married this guy at 15 years old, took advantage of her, beat her, an awful man. She's married at 15. She winds up getting pregnant at 17 years old. And at 19 years old, that marriage blew to pieces. And she had nowhere to turn to and nowhere to go. And so she goes back with her kid at 19 years old, back into her abusive home, which did not change in the interim. It only got more abusive and more toxic. And during that period, going back home, having a baby, holding the shards and the shambles of this life. She had a radical encounter with Jesus that turned her life around. She was hard drinking and hard smoking and hard living and all of that. And it, like the Lord broke it in a second and her, delivered her and set her feet on a new path. And she started putting a life together for herself. Left her parents, went to college, started building up a life for herself. And as the years went on, I think that the Lord puts it in us as people who um, are people of faith. I think that he puts, us, he puts a desire in us for reconciliation. We want to see our families come right. And so we do everything that we can do to try to witness to our families and influence our families and get the pieces to put back together again. And she said years went by and every time I would try to like help my family find the light, it just made things worse. And so she said, you know, at some point I just had to like turn my family over to God, turn my toxic, abusive father over to God and trust that God was going to do something in his life that I couldn't do in his life. And she said, this past Thanksgiving, I got a call from my mom. My dad's health is failing. is utterly like his body is falling apart. And I got a call from my mom and my mom said, you know, she said, you need to come over and see your dad. And she said, I'm not coming over to see dad unless dad has said to you that he wants to see me. And she said, your dad is saying that he wants to see you. You need to get over here. And so she piled in the car, but actually jumped on an airplane and went to where her dad lives down in Texas. And she walked into the living room and saw her dad and sat down in front of her dad and let her dad speak first. And her dad said this. Her dad said, honey, there is evil in the world. And then there is evil, evil in the world. And I was evil, evil towards you. And I am so sorry for everything I did to you and everything that you suffered at my hands. Would you please forgive me? The meek will inherit what? The earth. What did she do? She took that awful situation. She took the thing that was out of her hands, out of her control, and she said, God, here it is. It belongs to you. And wouldn't you know it? God loves her dad enough to lead her dad to repentance, a repentance that satisfies the ache of her heart. Friends, do you believe that God is fighting for you? Yes. And I don't know what you're carrying this morning. Some of you are here you're sitting here right there this right here this morning. And there are situations that are beyond your control and things that you have fought so hard to try to turn around on your own. What is the invitation of the scriptures? It's to take all of that and to give it to who? Because why? The meek will inherit the earth. It's coming your way. I'm telling you, God is on your side. You don't have to fight for yourself. Can you receive that this morning? And so Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'd say this, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who have made hearing and obeying the voice of God their highest delight in life. But this is the key point. Regardless of the outcome. Do you know that there are times in our lives where God will reduce us just to obedience? And we don't see any of the visible fruits of our obedience. All we know is that we're synced up with the will of God. We're doing what God delights in. And Jesus says that those people who do that, they'll be satisfied with the living reality of God himself. And this scripture, actually all four of these Beatitudes, they're very personal for me. They're very personal for me. I, in 2009, moved with my wife and my kids to Denver, Colorado, to help some friends plant a church. And I remember... When we moved to Denver, we said to ourselves and we said to all these people around us, we're going to be here for 30 years. We're going to make this a life's work. And, you know, I've often heard it said that if you want to hear God laugh, just make plans. (laughs) And it just wasn't in the cards. We fell in love with that church. We love those people. I love the ministry. I love everything that we did there. I loved our life there. But eight years into it, it it's very obvious that it was time for us to step away. And five and a half years ago, we came on staff here at New Life Church. It was an act of obedience that I gave to the Lord. And I, I remember coming here and I remember it being so bizarre to me personally because we were following our yes, which is what we had always done. We gave our yes to the Lord and we stepped into whatever it was he was putting in front of us. And I loved being here, I loved all of you people, I loved the ministry opportunities that were in front of me, and yet, to leave behind something that I had so firmly identified myself with felt to me like a comprehensive existential death. It was like I've told some people, it felt like being put in a witness protection program. You're like, I know that you were this guy in this other life, but here you are, here's your new name, here's your credit card, here's your job, here's your house, here are your friends, have a nice life. And I would walk, we live over on the east side of the city, and I would walk the sidewalks and the streets after work, and I would just cry out to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. I loved who I got to be there. I love what we did there. I love those people there. I don't understand why I'm in this life now. I don't understand why those dreams that we held in our hearts had to come to an end. I don't understand why we had to let any of that stuff go. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, why couldn't you? Like, you can do anything. I gave my best to that. Why couldn't you make it work? What in the world is going on? It was like this stripping, like like to nothing. And I remember the Lord beginning to say to me in that season, it was a long season of grieving that. And I remember the Lord starting to say to me in that season, Andrew, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? And the turning point for me came when I could say yes to that question, but God wasn't a consolation prize. Like, oh yeah, God, fine, you're enough for me. But like I could say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And if I have nothing in this life, but everything with God, then I actually have everything everything. Paul says that we are those who have nothing, but because we have Christ, we possess all things. Friends, everything, could you stand this morning? Everything that I have to say to you this morning boils down really to that. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, I don't know what, 2022 or 21 or 20, maybe you've been in a five-year stretch, a 10-year stretch, where it feels like everything precious was taken away from you and your life has been robbed and you've been grieved in so many ways. Maybe you're standing here this morning and a situation just got thrown at you this week. It's, you're in over your head. You're the poor in spirit. You are the meek. I, I don't know where you are this morning, but this is what I'm saying to you. That if you find yourself in that place this morning, where it feels like life has collapsed around you, where it feels like you're desperate for God and dependent on God, where it feels like you're carrying around grief and pain that you don't know what to do. I'm saying to you this morning, you are blessed. You are God's favored ones. He loves you and the kingdom is coming for you. Can I pray over you this morning? And so we pray now that the grace of the spirit would fall on every person in this room. Jesus, you say, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that is us this morning. And so we pray that wherever we find ourselves this morning that your grace and your mercy and your love would fall upon us. I pray that you would speak to the lie in our hearts that says to us that because of what we've been through, we're actually on the outs with you that our situation is an evidence of disfavor with you, I pray that you would shatter that lie, that the pain that we've been through is an evidence that we're out of step with you, shatter that lie. Those of us that feel like our life is burned down around us, shatter the lie that says we are on the outside looking in. I pray that you'd show us anew that we belong to you, that you came for us, that you've made a home for us, and that you're raising up a resurrection for us. So grant that, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen,
1: Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for that word this morning? My goodness. Andrew, that wasn't just a good word. That was an exceptional word from the Lord. I needed to hear that. This morning, we prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. In March of 2020, when COVID kind of changed our world, after we came back together, one of the decisions we made was to receive communion in our chair. And I, I, I liked it okay, but I missed responding. I missed getting out of our seats and coming forward and responding physically to what God had just done spiritually. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come down and prepare. This morning, we're going to change up our routine. We're going to do this every Sunday going forward. And we did it for many years before COVID. While we worship and while we pray, the ushers will give you instructions. If you're able to leave your seat, I want you to walk down and I want you to receive the cup. Now we still have these cups. It is the worst piece of bread you will ever eat. And it barely qualifies as juice. But here's what I've always said about that. God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. God takes what is common and makes it uncommon. And so this morning, I want you to respond physically and leave your seat and come down. They're going to hand the cup to you. You take that cup, go back to your seat and continue to worship. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to come up and lead us to the table of the Lord. Okay. Father in heaven, we come now. We put our feet to our faith. We leave the place of our comfort and we come forward to receive the goodness of the Lord. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come to the table of the Lord this morning, New Life Church.